Welcome to Women Investing and Women and Girls on the State of Women Radio Network. I'm your host, Michelle Jaffe. And I'm Victoria Mendoza. We're so excited to welcome back Caitlin Grasso on air. Caitlin is the founder and CEO of Generation. Um, and she has also done some incredible work to empower women and girls. And we're just so excited to continue this conversation. First, I want to go ahead and pass it off to Victoria. Thank you, Michelle. Okay, Caitlin, so I wanted to kind of get more into about what Generation is and what you're doing. Um, You've inspired so many girls and given them the confidence to reach for their dreams and maybe pursue a career that could change the world. Um, And I think it's an important message for the youth to hear, especially today, for girls to know that they can be the CEO of a company or run for office or have Um, a huge impact in the world. What would you say is the most rewarding part of your work? Yes. I mean, there's, there's so many rewarding parts. Um, You know, I think just personally, again, as I, you know, as I mentioned earlier about being able to execute on your vision and create a team in a workplace that really speaks to your values. But if I could say hands down, the best part of my work is I love the events um, like discovery days because I get to be out there with the girls what they want, and we're always trying to adjust and grow um, with our audience as their needs change. We change. What's really amazing for me is, you know, when I hear from girls after an event um, that says, you know, not to be cliche, but you know, this changed my life because it's, it's. I never thought this was possible for myself, and it's always the girls who are like quiet the entire day and they're sort of shy. And then uh, we were in Los Angeles recently, and I had a girl who wrote me like a 900 word essay. Like I didn't ask her to write me. Um, after the after the event, she mailed me this 900 word essay about how her experience on Discovery Day changed her life because she was from a family that you know no one in her family went to college, and she's going to be the first one to go to college, and she never thought that she would even be able to you know like step foot into a Fortune 500 company. So, you know those emails in her 900 word essay, uh, you know I want to cry because you know I it's, it's when people are always asking in business like you know they want the numbers, and of course. You can med- you can register you know revenue metrics you know how many you have this month on website but that unquantifiable part is really what drives me and you know changing a girl's life we also work with this um, charter school uh, uh, in San Francisco Save a Prep which is a, a school for talented um, first generation primarily um, Latino students um, who are you know on the track to go to college and we had a, a group of about nineteen of their students join us this year and just seeing, you know, their faces and seeing how they were saying, we have never had an opportunity like this to step into the door of Facebook or Twitter and see, um, you know, what what all the possibilities are for me. And uh, I think, you know, even across, uh, and, you know, those are might be more extreme examples of people who have never seen these things, but even at schools that, you know, might have like a, a shadow program or a, a career trek program, I think um, in mo- most schools and growing up in Buffalo, like being successful, you were a doctor or a lawyer. If you were, you know, smart, that's what you're going to school for. And it wasn't until I went to college where I'm like, wow, like you can be an investment banker. You can do this. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I feel, you know, my family has always supported me, but I think my teacher thought I was crazy. Like, where does she get this from? So I think, you know, even girls who said, you know, my mom said I had to be a teacher, but, you know, I think I can do this. Uh, and one of the most amazing experiences we had this summer was we were at the State Department and we got to meet the five most powerful women uh, 
um, in the State Department, uh, you know, including Deputy Secretary Heather Higginbottom. And having, you know, listening uh, to the women in the, in the panel and seeing the girls' faces, you could hear a pin drop. They were just like, it was like, you know, they met all of their celebrities <laughs> in one day. So being able to share those experiences is really what drives me every single day. I bet. And I bet it's just so humbling to hear, like you said, those stories of the girls who said that you've changed their life. I mean, that is something that you really can't, you can't put numbers on. And that's what we all strive for. I think that, you know, human nature is that we just want to help, help others. And so it's, it's great what you're doing. I truly am honored um, to be speaking with you today. Um, And like you said, I know that you mentioned that social media is such a huge aspect, uh, especially Mm -hmm. being that half of your company is media-based and online. Um, And the younger generation, which you target, is constantly on social media. So I wanted to ask you, um, this is kind of a question about, do you have any advice for girls or the younger generation on how to use their social media effectively to grow their personal branding? Right. I think that, that that's a really smart question, especially today. I think even, you know, they say there's like, I, I can, you know, I'm a millennial, but I guess, you know, the high school girls and college girls might be like Gen Z as they're calling them nowadays. And they were sort of, you know, born using Facebook. Uh, so it's even a little, I mean, a little bit different than my friends and I that they're just, you know, almost like dependent on it. So what I've, you know, seen, um, even like when we're looking to hire people, I think anything, you know, if, if I search your name on Google, what's going to come up, you know, most, most mostly today, people keep their Facebook on private, which I think they should, unless you're like a public figure and you want to have your own page. I think that's for you and your friends. But I think your Twitter um, can sort of be a very divisive, um, you know, platform because I, you know, personally, I use my Twitter for professional branding, talking about the company, talking about events I'm going to. But then there's some people who sort of use it as a hybrid of both. And you need to think about as your personal branding that if you're talking about what you're doing on the weekend with your friends, where does that tie into if you're talking on Monday about being at a Global Women Summit. So I think you can, I have people who say I use Twitter for personal, for my friends, and that's very clear. Or people who say I use Twitter for business purposes. But I think it should really be one or the other. I think when people sort of start mixing them, it sort of becomes like sending mixed messages. Like, am I following you as a thought leader or am I following you because I want to be your friend? So I think for people on Twitter, um, you know, sort of just be conscious when you make your account that if it is searchable and you don't have it unlocked, that people are going to be sort of reading your tweets and sort of, you know, trying to get a gauge of you. So make sure you do that with intention. That's excellent advice. And it's definitely something that I think the younger generation needs to hear, Um, especially like you said with the Twitter. I know that it's kind of iffy and um, and you're right. Employers definitely do search for social media. I know that I I actually have an interview coming up where, uh, you know, she's like, I just want to let you know that I am going to search you on Facebook. So it's important (laughs) that generation that they've got their their social media really clean and um, that it reflects how they want people to see them as their own personal brand. Um, So that's great advice. And so how has the use of social media helped you better connect to the demographic that you're trying to reach? Right. Uh, Well, I think it just makes it, I think the perfect example is sort of, you know, with discovery days and why I think it's so important to have a combination of, you know, online and live events because, uh, you know, we had 
so many cities this summer, but you know, we can't be in every single city in America. So be for all those girls, like we have members in all 50 states, but for those girls who live in Oklahoma or Kentucky that we weren't able to get to this summer, you know, we are live tweeting all of our events. We're, you know, Facebook living them. We're using content, um, you know, interviewing many of the executives who were on the road this summer, you know, making um, posts and interviews for them on our homepage. So sort of how can we share that content more broadly is something that I'm always thinking about. And I think social media, you know, primarily Facebook, Twitter are our main platform since we produce a lot of content. So I think it just allows us, you know, our audience to expand. And it's fun that, you know, sometimes we'll get a, a, a random email from a girl who's like, you know, I'm from, uh, you know, like North Dakota and I love reading, you know, your articles every week. And I'm like, wow, like, you know, we didn't even, we don't know how far our reach extends. So to sort of grow that following more organically, I think it's just a testament um, to, you know, social media and technology. Definitely. And I mean, that's just a testament to the power of social media overall. I mean, you can be anywhere in the world and have such a, you know, a global audience just because you're doing the Facebook live or posting on your social media, then at that point, who knows who's watching. And and so I think that's great that you're doing that. Um, Oh, and just to touch back on Discovery Days, is this yeah. something that you're going to be doing annually, semi-annually? I know you just yeah. got back from the tour, but <laughs> no, is it something that you're yeah. going to want to do again this year for girls? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think about it, so for the, this is our actually like our third summer of live events. The first two summers uh, of 2013 and 20, or excuse me, 2014 and 2015, we called it the Summer Leadership Series. Uh, we visited 10 cities across North America during those summers, and they would be two to three hour evening events where it would essentially bring different executives from a variety of companies in the area to like a hotel conference venue and make it more of like a structured conference. And then from that is where I got the idea for discovery days of instead of bringing the executives and girls together, what if we could take the girls to the executives? So that, and I think Discovery Days is just such a huge success, and it's just, you get, it's a lot more real. You get to see the behind the scenes. So there's already been such an outpour of companies from other cities saying, how do we get involved? So uh, I, I have my hands full with that, but be expecting an announcement soon. And uh, to sort of go back, I think events, you know, are, again, like 50% of our model, but as even though we are a media company and we serve an audience that's, uh, you know, I, I, I want to say the word addicted, but, you know, Lightly to social media is that uh, I think the real life human interaction is just so important that it, I don't think if we what we did uh, purely online um, we couldn't we couldn't do it that way. So I think everyone, I'm always thinking of what are more ways and opportunities we can take the show on the road and get people behind us, you know, off of their computers and into rooms talking to people is something we want to try to strike um, a good balance between. Of course, yeah, I think that it the way that you have it set up where it's dual on both sides, right. that is, that's essential for, um, for young girls to really propel um, their branding and get their names out there and then faces mm-hmm. of, of companies. Um, so to talk to you a little bit more about the success and what you've seen as far as results, I'm going to have mm-hmm. Michelle come back and um, she's got a couple more questions for you. Yeah, thanks, Victoria. So, Caitlin, as we've heard with your project of Generation Discovery Days and, you know, your presence on social media, it sounds like there has been a lot of success in growing and scaling these projects. However, I wanted to know from you, what were some of the challenges that you faced in expanding Generation into what it is today? 
Yeah, I mean, I think any entrepreneur every day is a challenge as an entrepreneur. Uh, I think if if you like working in a place where something goes wrong every day, you should be an entrepreneur because um, th- that's what happens. But I think you know, starting out, um, particularly my so generation is about um, two and a half years old. We launched in March of 2014, so until the fall of you know the, 2015, I was a student, and I think trying to get you know clients and trying to get you know uh, an uh, develop an audience of girls while I was in college was difficult because you're also, you know, I was a full-time student. I worked almost a 35-hour-a-week job in addition to generation while I was at war. And so I think just sort of balancing that was challenging in and of itself, but it was, again, you know, what set me up for the path to be an entrepreneur after college. So, but I think sort of in the in the day-to-day, um, what, what I've learned from the beginning is that we are um, – a for-profit company. And in the beginning, it was hard when we were sort of pitching companies and saying, you know, you have to do this to work for, you know, to support women. And we sort of got tossed in the nonprofit bucket of saying, you know, we give a lot of money to causes, like what makes you different? And that really helped me refine of what we're really providing to these companies and is access and a way to engage with their audience in a way that no other company can provide them a service to do. And we really are, you know, hitting that pipeline development um, spectrum of their needs in, the, in, in their employer resource office. So when we were first starting out, I would almost just reach out to anybody at a company and say like, oh, we want to work with you. How can we get involved? And then as we sort of matured, I learned that the HR and marketing departments is sort of our sweet spot and where we need to live um, to be successful. And then I think uh, I'm sort of uh, like, you know, a, a last challenge that I think any entrepreneur would face is that I'm a really big thinker. And even like when I, I'm always trying to push the company and myself to do things that are more challenging. When I thought of the idea, um, you know, this past fall of Discovery Days, and I said, you know, I'm going to get all these buses, I'm going to get all these big companies on board, like, a lot of people just looked at me and laughed and said, like, okay, like, maybe in three years, you'll be able to do this. Like, you were at the time, it was like me and two other people. And how are you going to do this? But I just knew, like, I will make sure whatever needs to get done to make this possible, I will do. And I'm a very fast mover. I don't believe in taking a long time to do things. So I did it. And like, looking back, when I think of, wow, like, even if myself a year ago, I would have said, this is a great idea, but will it get done and it, will it be at my level of expectation? But I'm, you know, really proud and happy to say that it was a huge success. But that's why when I think about next year, I'm, I'm like, someone's like, well, are you going to take us to the moon next year? I'm like, maybe, I don't know, <laughs> discovery days on Mars. But uh, so I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, you always have to put your own expectations uh, first before anybody else. So people aren't always going to tell you that's not going to work. Who's going to give you money for this? How are you like, what is this? How is this going to be successful? But I think you just really have to follow your gut instinct. And if you believe it's going to work and you're going to do whatever it takes to make it work, that you should go for it. That's wonderful. As you mentioned, there are some pretty big projects that you have started coming right out of school, which is extremely impressive. But as you know, a lot of these things have a price tag. So what has your experience been like in raising capital? Are you pitching to venture capitalists? Are you looking for angel investors? Yes, I think that that's, that's a really important area to highlight because, you know, fortunately with the President's Engagement Prize, um, that gave us runway to sort of like build and form a team while also getting revenue from clients. So we're at a point right now where we are, you know, financially uh, you know, sustainable based on revenue from our clients. But, uh, you know, I'm actually, you know, really debating in the next 
two to three months raising capital just so we can grow even more quickly. So I've had, you know, I'd say, you know, May and June of this year, I've gone to a lot of investor conferences and had preliminary, um, you know, meetings with some angel investors and VCs. And what I've found is that sometimes when, um, like, with when you are a woman, a woman working in a women and girls space, that you know reaching out to women is probably a, a better way to go, uh, or right. finding men who have daughters. Because if mm. you don't want to reach out to you know like a young bachelor, uh, you know VC, like he's probably not going to understand you know why all the big companies need to be our clients because they need to grow their pipeline. So what I've learned as just as I learned about how you need to, I needed to reach out to HR people, it's about finding people who believe um, in the space of work importantly, believe in you. Because again, like if someone would a year ago, I might have not been able to tell an investor that Discovery Days was going to be like a, the, the main part of our events model. So somebody who I have to only work with investors who are very flexible with sort of my wandering mind, allow me to sort of grow um, and sort of, you know, put things forward in the way that I best see fit. Because I know that sometimes investors, they sort of want to lock you in, sort of saying like, if we want an exit in three to five years, this is what we need to see. And we don't want to de- you to deviate from the, this path. And I have talked to a lot of investors who said like, okay, if you're going to be online media, then like grow online media. Or if you want events, just grow your events. But I just feel so strongly that it has to be a hybrid model. So, you know, you just sort of look at those investors and say, thank you for your time, but you know, this is not going to be a good fit. And then hope that those conversations lead you to people who are a better fit for you. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I think that many startups and businesses that have a very diversified product and service offering um, experience a similar situation. For example, Women Investing in Women itself has its media arm, its event arm, private equity roundtables. It runs the gamut. So I definitely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, and I think finding people, I'm a big believer in finding um, investors who are either entrepreneurs or former operators themselves, because unless you're in the trenches, like, look, you're never going to know what's going to work. Um, I always say, you know, like, if Mark Zuckerberg came to you, like, 20 years ago and said, I'm going to build Facebook, like, everybody, like, laughed in his face, and then, you know, there's a few people who believed in him. So, I think if you sort of, uh, you, you know, you're transparent with your goals, but you're uh, you're also not you have to find people and like stick to your gut. So um, not sort of conforming to um, stereotypes of what people think, you know, may be as a company. Absolutely. So now I'm getting a really strong sense of mentorship through your company before the creation of generation, even within this conversation, how personally have you been influenced by mentors and what do you think is the best way for people to seek out their own mentors? Right. And that, that's a really uh, a funny question for me in, in particular because I also believe very strongly and in every single camp we hosted this summer, I said to the women, you know, who's a mentor in your life? But in terms of my professional life, I haven't really had like a mentor, um, like one or two strong mentors who have like, you know, sort of said, pick me up by the bootstraps and said, this is the way to go. I think I've had like a series of five to six, you know, close people um, who are more, you know, professionally who I go to, um, you know, like, for advice, um, but not, but it's not sort of like an actively more like formal mentorship process. Um, I have a ment. I, I would consider um, this person like a mentor, more of um, actually like a sponsor. Um, he's uh, a, a, the, the 
the main trustee, the executive trustee of the University of Pennsylvania and the executive vice president of Comcast. And he's someone who's like, he's like one of the most powerful executives in America. So, you know, you're, it's not like you're going to hop on the phone with him every, uh, you know, single week. But, you know, I touch base with him a few times a year. And anytime like an opportunity comes across his desk that thinks, uh, you know, he thinks would be good for me, he'll forward it to me. So I and his, those opportunities have turned out to be, you know, tremendous ways for generation to grow the company and for me to grow personally. So I look at him as someone who it's like, you know, you may not talk to him every, you know, every month, but just by staying in touch, um, he's been someone who has really pushed me and challenged me um, to grow. But I think that's, I think you really need like a strong mentor and a strong sponsor. Um, but I think my, I sort of, you know, outsource my mentorship a lot because I work, I, I, and I think as an entrepreneur, um, it's a little more difficult because for example, like if you're an attorney and you know, you're a first year attorney at a big firm, you might talk to someone who's a partner 30 years down the road for you to say, how did I get to where you are today? And they can sort of give you advice. But for someone who's like me, who really doesn't have like a clear path, um, to, you know, what, you know, what is the next, 10 years of my life as an entrepreneur going to be. No one else is going to have that path. So I find sort of like a personal board of advisors and we'll talk to people who are financial experts and people who are media experts and sort of just, you know, talk to them when issues arise. But that I think having, you know, like sponsor, um, like my um, Comcast executive is sort of what balances all of that out. Wonderful. Well, Caitlin, it's been so great having you on air. And I have no doubt that we'll be hearing many exciting stories about Generation and what your projects will be growing into soon. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking with both of you. All right. Once again, founder and CEO of Generation, Caitlin Grasso. I'd like to invite our listeners to connect with us by going to facebook.com slash womaninvesting or follow us on Twitter with the handle at womaninvesting. Thank you to everyone who has been listening in today. You've been listening to Women Investing and Women and Girls. This show is produced by the State of Women Radio Network, the first radio network for women and girls. I'm your host, Michelle Jaffe. 